0: Hello, and welcome to the Literal Fiction Book Club, where we read books that you don't have. My name is Sam Johnson, and joining me today is Alex. Hi. Troy. Hello, everyone. And Tom. Hello. This week, we're reading the first third of The Scorching Wind by Walter Mackin. The Scorching Wind opened up from the perspective of Dominic, who is preparing to accompany his older, more handsome brother, D'Walta, to the trade that will bring Dualta to the Western Front of World War I. The boys come from a family steeped in the politics of Irish independence. The Irish nationalist movement is split at the outbreak of the Great War. On the one side, the Redmond volunteers agreeing to fight for the empire in exchange for home rule. On the other, the hardcore nationalists who wish to prosecute a national independence struggle in Ireland. The family of Dominic and Dualta reflect this split. Dualta is volunteering with Redmond, their father is a principled nationalist. After DeWalta is sent off, the book transports us to the future, which culminates in the Easter Rebellion of 1916. The hardcore nationalists, led by the likes of Patrick Peirce and James Connolly, attempt an insurrection against the British state to establish an Irish Republic. Their efforts failed, and 16 of the leaders of that rebellion are hanged by the British state. In the wake of the Easter Rebellion... Dominic's father is arrested by the British military and dies from a persistent cold exacerbated by prison conditions. Dualta returns from the Western Front crippled, but still impressive. Dominic remains resistant and intentionally aloof of the bubbling Irish resistance brewing around him, but is inevitably sucked into the schemes of his friends and associates. The section leaves off with Dominic on a train, watching as the charismatic Irish section leader, Laurie, is arrested by the infamous black and tan. Dominic wonders of Laurie's fate. And little does he know the, that Laurie was executed with two bullets to his head and thrown into a ditch. From the back of the book, Walter Macken was born in Galway in 1915. He was a writer of short stories, novels, and plays. Originally an actor, principally with the Tabahirk in Galway and the Abbey Theater, he played lead roles on Broadway in M.J. Malloy's The King of Friday's Men and his own play Home as the Hero. He also acted in films, notably in Arthur Drafes' adaptation of Brendan Behan's The Queer Fellow. He is perhaps best known for his trilogy of Irish historical novels, Seek the Fair Land, The Silent People, and what we're reading, The Scorching Wind. He passed away in 1967. So, before we get into The Scorching Wind, we um, we have a bill to pay to our listeners who are not going to receive a part two of the riveting novel that is Rudyard Kipling's Kim. So why did we not actually do an episode on the second half of this book? Because I think this is the first book that we've actually given up on.
1: I mean, I don't I don't think I <laughs> gave up on it because I finished it, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, I think I read it in six, maybe seven sittings. And the thing that I talked about in the first episode where I was like, oh, maybe this will go away, where... There's just, I don't know, the protagonist is kind of aimless, he's not driving the action, there's too much description, and then also I was just bored. Like, even the plot, once it does get going, where they're in the great game and they go into Pakistan, it's like... I don't know. It's just stuff is kind of happening. They're just meandering around. There's no like direction to the book, and I kept looking to see when it was going to be over, how many pages were left until the chapter break, which is not good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm of the same mind where it's like my eyes just glazed over. The way I I would put it is that like if I was a rich academic and was able to just like, I don't know, sit on my my balcony and think thoughts and read this book, I probably would have a more appreciable view about it um, because it's a book that really is not meant for um, somebody who wants things to happen in a way that is immediately intelligible. And um, I just thought that the what I found charming about the first half with was this sort of like almost fairy tale way of telling a novel which was, I thought, interesting and different, but um, it really grinds you down, you know? Like, I just found myself enjoying it less and less as I read it more and more, and um, by the time I finished the book, I was just like, I really don't give a shit what happens to any of these people, Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I, I feel like there, I'm, maybe it's like poor taste or something like that, but like, I don't, I don't think this was a, A strong novel in the slightest
1: you know what this reminded me of was haji murad um in that the characters are just kind of like milling about you can tell that the author obviously loves the subject although as soon as he leaves india like once he starts talking about afghanistan the the descriptions go like way downhill um But even so, you can tell that he has like a passion about it. But I also got the feeling that the author was writing this because they're like bored. They're in exile in India, just like Tolstoy is like in the Southern Caucasus. They're just kind of like making up this grand adventure. And I can see how it was enjoyable for them to write, like for all these little scenes where they're describing life in the Indian cities. Uh, But as a reader, it's not super enjoyable. I just, I can imagine Kipling writing this while he's, I don't know, just sitting there in the colonial office, just like Tolstoy was sitting at his estate in Russia trying to imagine Haji Murat. Um, and but even Haji great Ratt for them, they're, they're yeah. boring, <laughs> but I can understand why the author would just, they got obsessed with something and they just decided they're going to write something about it. But they have like a feeling and an idea, but it's not a plot. Like... And it's so weird because they're like, oh, the great game, the great game. They keep talking about it directly. But then even when the main plot is going to happen, Kipling like, keeps you at arm's length distance about it. And so it's like, this is what I've been waiting for. Why won't you engage with it or like describe it? But I think it's just the writing style because it's so old. Yeah, but it's, it's more recent than she, which is the craziest thing. Oh, yeah, there's different like phases. This is the beginning of modernism. And we all know Troy's stance on modernism. But this is why I don't like it. It rambles. It goes nowhere. It's not plot driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I didn't finish the book.
2: Um. Uh. I feel like I read less during the two, like, the two weeks we were reading this book than I've read in the last two years. Just because every time I was like, oh, I should sit down and read, I was like, uh. Eh. I can do something else. Like I, you know what I mean? I just did not want to open this
1: book up. Right. I read all of the, well, the 90 pages I read of scorching wind. I read all of it today and I wanted to keep reading, but I had other stuff to do. Hmm. Yeah. That was a fun, that, that that very different
2: reading experiences. Uh, I think maybe Kipling's ambitions are a little bit loftier
1: than the guy who wrote the scorching wind, but I really do think it is about just the, Narrative style, though, of a third person, where you're the narrative is kind of the narrator is kind of far away and omniscient, whereas this is a lot more closer to Dominic. Like we're with Dominic the whole time, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's just more of a modern or rather postmodernism like literary convention, whereas that just didn't exist in the 1900s. Like obviously there can be a plot, like we read She, where none of the characters are that well. Uh, written out but at least they had something to do
0: yeah i mean i think that the the i would say that the main issue of of kim what which like was what that we were overburdened with sort of like this insider information about india and the, the characters in the story that we really didn't need to be right like it was nice that there was a sort of a multiplicity of people that you interacted with, but there was a lot of things that like, I felt like if you had a reference to the place, you would have, you know, if you were Rudyard Kipling, right. Or you did live in India at some point, you probably would have been better oriented for it. But, you know, for people like us, like, I, I mean, I don't like a lot of, I would get like a, Uh, lost in a train of thought because you would be like, well, what is that? And then what is the next thing, right? And it's just a lot of references about India that were were not particularly clear to me. And Um, it just
1: keeps going too. The description is like, it's not leading towards anything. It's not building up the character. It's not driving forward the plot. It's just like pages and pages of description. It's like, yeah, India is great. Like it was cool the first 50 pages, but you're right. It really does wear on the reader.
0: Yeah. And you just get the sense that the, the each, you know, like, I don't know, one of the, the hallmarks of good writing to me is like, are, are large chunks of the author's writing? Does it serve multiple purposes? Right? Like, does this one sentence do multiple things, you know, something can describe something and move the plot, you know, and give a, you know, a sense of characterization all in one sentence. And there was something about, kim that really felt like everything had like a monolithic purpose um except for the dialogue i mean i think the dialogue was pretty solid i would you know i would recommend those sections as like something to study about dialogue um but uh but yeah it's just as a whole novel it was like (laughs) it was pretty unbearable at the end i mean I, i really was not enjoying enjoying it
1: as a whole i agree it was pretty unbearable although I also agree that the dialogue, like Kim shy string people out of the money, like those are the best scenes of the book by far. It was. I mean, I, I feel like, well,
2: I didn't finish the book, so this could be a stupid thing to say. But the first half of the book, I felt like would have made a really good movie, Um, you know, if it was able to show rather than tell a lot of the shit that Kipling is just kind of spewing, like
3: mm-hmm.
2: the, the characters, like the uh, uh, the monk, the monk. Well, I forget, the I llama? Yeah, thank you. The llama like Kim and the, the llama that like that's a that's a charming relationship. Um, the Muslim in the stories with the Muslim, like the guy's trying to kill him at night. Yeah, like that's all cool. And I really feel like those are fairly interesting characters and interesting turns of events. It, it really is it comes down to like the way it was written. Mm.
0: Yeah, if this is a if this is a movie, I'd fucking watch this movie. Yeah, 100 percent.
2: Did yeah. have you guys have read anything else by Kipling?
1: Yeah, I've read the Jungle Book and uh, some of his poetry. His poetry is a lot better than his prose. Okay. In my opinion. But he's also just like the super chummy British guy. Like, he is the poster boy of this unit. Like, he is the imperialist imperialist. He coined the white man's burden. And his, (laughs) I just, the way he portrayed the great game in the book was so weird. Where it's like deadly serious, but also everybody's super whimsical about it. (laughs) <laughs> um and they just well they, they go to afghanistan and they're like i don't know winking and nudging like oh my gosh look at there's this russian and this french guy and then the next chapter they just pull out guns and murder them and then the next chap the next scene is like oh the Lama is looking for the river It, <laughs> like dude, was this not the climax of the book right here like you going into afghanistan and like accomplishing your mission or kim becoming an agent but it was just like the very the same monotone more just more and more description i was like okay like enough of this so um
0: tom you read a third of the book what was your first impressions of it
1: um i mean
3: i don't know i had a hard time getting into it to be honest that wasn't helpful in me like finishing it but there was like you guys kind of touched on it like there was some decent parts in the beginning where i was like oh there's some interesting characters going on but I don't know, I wasn't a huge fan of just the way it was written, and I guess part of that has to do with, like, the time that it was written and what's being portrayed, but there's just, like, certain phrases and things, and I don't know if you guys felt this way, but, like, at certain parts in the book, it was, like, it felt like you were, like, reading, like, scripture, like, it was, like, you know, these, like these ways of describing things that were like parables or like just the dialogue seemed really like forced at certain times. And it was, it was good in other times, but it, there was just nothing that like hooked me into it in the beginning. It was like, okay, there's some decent things about this, but like, there's nothing great about it. I'm not really wondering like, where's this going and what's happening. So um that didn't help on top of me being like very busy and not completing it. But like, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there wasn't anything like in a lot of books, like, like she's a good example. Um, the first like 20, 25 pages, I had like a hard time getting into it, but once it got to where it was like trying to go, I was like into the book. Like, I'm like, Oh, I'll read this. Like I'll find time. I'll stay up late. Like I'll do whatever. Like I wanted to know where the story went. And that moment just never happened with this book.
0: That's a really good way of describing it. And I, I like that, that, um, analogy to scripture. Um, in the, you know, if you want to read the Bible, then read the Bible, right? Like, you don't have to read Kim.
3: And it's just like some of the ways things were written and just like the way the dialogue went was it was like, I don't know, it was like Jesus in Afghanistan talking about something. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I don't what the hell's going on here. I mean, that's just how I felt about it. But like I said, there just really wasn't like a hook. Like there wasn't anything in the first third of the book that I read that was like, oh, I really want to read more about this. It was just like, eh, like it's a book.
0: Indeed it was. And I'm actually, I would say, you know, to your point, Troy, because Kipling is, you know, the he is the ultimate representation of British imperialism. I was, I would say I came into this, into this book in particular with a lot of high hopes about what it would be. And me um, too.
1: This is supposed to be, his best, yeah, supposed to be no. his best book. supposed to be his best book.
0: Kipling can suck our American dicks. That's all I got to say.
3: Some weak shit.
0: Do better, Britain. Um, so now that we've concluded our conversation about Kim, let us talk about this lovely book um, that I enjoyed quite thoroughly, The Scorching Wind by Walter Macken. Um, I would say, like, my first impression, as soon as I finished the first third of it, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to read all three of them. Um, not really so much for the writing style, which I think is like mm, slightly below average. I think he's not the strongest writer. But um, because it's very clear to me that he was involved in Irish republicanism, um, it's a lot less difficult to describe things that you've personally experienced. And um, and he has a, um, I wouldn't say wrote, but like... Uh, his his plot feels a little uh cookie cutter maybe is the way to describe it um but because he's clearly been through this shit um he is able to to describe it well to reflect on the character's emotions well you have like the 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 character we're supposed to relate to and also probably walter at some point um in dominic you know who is like vacillating between trying to just like go to school and like also this political element that's happening around him. And then you have the people around him who are, you know, either, um, who are for the most part, um, either his friends or, you know, older men like his, like, uh, uh, the older brother or Lori who are people you look up to, um, who seem committed and sure and, you know, and manly, um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed this book so far. What do you all think?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I I agree completely. Like um, he he, the, he I, I know what you mean when you say that you don't think he's the strongest writer, but I do think that he describes like these kind of like complicated relationships pretty well. You know, like like the weird uh, you know like the tension with his brother a, a little bit, and then also the tension with the young woman who was engaged to his friend who gets shot in the head. I can't
1: remember her name. Do you remember it? She's like a second cousin and that's actually yeah. a good scene when they're describing like the countryside because he lives nearish to the Cliffs of Moher and then she lives like almost at the county line and they're describing the differences in that their family both living in the two areas but the two like branches of it.
2: Yeah. And like when they're in the boat and he finds out that she's engaged and he's like, mm-hmm. you know, like it, I, I felt like he was kind of, you know, taken aback and like bummed a little bit because I think he wanted to fuck her. But like oh, also sure. like not wanting to show <laughs> it. Like I don't know. I like that. I thought that was like
1: really well written because he doesn't smack you over the head with it. Yeah, um, I think that this is actually extremely well written and it's it's so well written that it like appears to be mediocre. Um, like the it's not a classic
0: situation. It's not <laughs> Flannery
1: O'Connor level where that is just like another level. But this is, I feel like, it's pretty good. The with the amount of times that he's doubling up, because a lot of the time with the description, he's also doubling up in terms of it being about character development, but also driving the plot. Um, so I think that some of it is a little bit weak. The dialogue is okay but yeah the descriptions are amazing because he's been there and he's done all of this um i thought the hardest part was to when he first introduced the book just to immediately get the feeling of we have to have revolution because like yeah the sentiment was already there but for readers you have to have an inciting incident and i felt like they tried to get it with the brother going off to world war one um but they really couldn't get it until the father died um Like, that's the inciting incident that kicks the whole plot off. Um, But I think he did as well as you can. Like, you get to the action right away. He does not pull punches. Like, they're immediately killing cops, and it's, like, right into the terrorism.
0: Yeah, and I I guess that's kind of my point, which is that there's sections in, in it where it's like I'm reading whole paragraphs of, you know, Dominic did this, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then that happened. but then you get like scenes where there was that beautiful scene where um, his older brother brings him to that guard camp. And it's like, all of a sudden it dawns on Dominic that this isn't just a game. Right. And there's this, this psychological swap that happens between like, basically like the shit gets real moment. And that was just so well done. I mean, I was like, you know, I, I had, I felt very emotional during that scene. And there's, The way I would put it is that, like, there's a very wide band of quality, right? Whereas, like, uh, often it seems like writers will write their best, and there is just, like, you know, whatever that best is, how it ranks in, like, uh, I guess, a more objective sense varies. But in this particular book, I noticed, like, the writing quality very much, um, it was kind of a little bit of a wave, and um, it really depended on whether I, my intuition is that whether the author had access to that, whereas like action scenes were more or less well told based on whether that Walter actually experienced it or not is kind of like what I'm getting the vibe of. Um, but yeah, I mean, and to be honest, I mean, you really can't beat this fucking plot. I mean, I love Irish Republicanism and I love this whole, you know, like early 20th century, um, battle between the irish republicans and the in the british state like that's that's the fucking shit so i mean unless it's told like complete ass i'm probably gonna love it
1: yeah The, the language that they use is really good like the irish are very out and out like why are we going to die for the english on foreign soil and like talking about their guts getting blown out and stuff and it was just like it was so real Mm.
0: Yeah, and in the and the, uh, the the whole scene where that guy who's get, like was going to talk at um, after when the older brother is being sent off, and there's a Belgian guy who gets up and is like basically like these prostitutes are lying to you about like Germans, you know, I don't know, grinding babies and. Oh my god!
1: You know? Yeah, that was I thought the yeah. uh, I thought that was the weirdest point of the book, <laughs> where or I was the most unexpected scene so far when it was like, yeah, the guy that the British put up there to be a propaganda tool, he's like embarrassed for his town. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 our women weren't raped. they just prostitutes. Trust me. And it like backfires. It was, yeah, a weird but interesting scene.
2: Yeah. I, I think like the setting of this, like not being in like a big city too, is, is really, it makes it kind of special. Like the parts where they talk about how like most of the people in his town, like, don't really you know like Belgium is kind of an abstract concept to them like they're like it's another small country getting pushed around that was like the way they were selling it I thought that was like an interesting tidbit because I don't I don't know I guess I didn't think about how connected to the world like someone from a village in Ireland is in 1917 but probably not very connected yeah um, I, th- I think like that and then like just the way he kind of the um, like the way that all the guys that he's like training with have all known each other their whole lives. And like how much of a small town it is. Like, I really like, I don't know that really like kind of personalizes like whatever the conflict to be is like the stakes are really high for these guys. Cause they're like their friends and their family. Um, it's different than being like shipped away to fight with like a unit of people you don't know.
1: Right. Yeah. I thought the, the first scene was really good when the sun is leaving, and the fa- the father shows that he is an old um I don't know how to pronounce it, I think it's Sin Fane, um, yeah. an old Finian, and like that was really good to show the two sides of it, but the scene where the father gets taken away by the police is really good. When they're like arguing at the door jam and the mom is trying to calm him down and the dad's like getting dressed upstairs in his finest suit. Um He's and so they, excited. And they like <laughs> A find proud out old man. And they find the rat, like, uh, what is it? Sergeant Nate, who's like the local that's informing the British. Mm. Like, Nate's going to get got before this book is over. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, he best be got. That motherfucker needs to be got.
1: And the propaganda that, um, what is it? Sam Thorne? The one that initially recruits Dominic. Hell Yeah. Um, I love that guy that guy has some he's slinging some good propaganda, like the way that it's presented in the scenes it's like it's very convincing or you can imagine being in a crowd and somebody is just, like this is just whispering stuff to you
0: you know he re- he reminds me of um it's only because you brought up flannery o'connor but um but it reminds me of uh of um tarwater's uh like ghost almost right that's talked to him. Like, the Sam character is just, like, he floats in and, like, whispers things in your ear, like, as the... He's, like, almost, to be honest, he, besides the father, is the only real ideological character. Everybody else is, it's kind of, like, de facto understood what they believe, but Sam is actually explaining what, you know, Dominic should think, or how, you know, he should view the
3: situation.
1: I think that Sam is honestly the ringleader at this point, and it's, like... I'm hoping that they're trying to foreshadow that because he's, he's always the one that never gets arrested. He like always slips away and he was like, Oh, I'm not important. That's why they don't notice me, but he is the only ideologue. And I'm like, yeah, that's where I think it's going. I hope it's going that way.
0: That's a good guess. Yeah. I I like that.
1: That's a good guess. Yeah. Because Um, it's going to go into the territory of when it then becomes legal or the party becomes legal and they split between a political party versus terrorists. Like, we've got all, we need to buckle up. we got a long way to go on this. But, like, yeah, how can you not love this period when cars are first coming in the fashion of like the end of World War I, but everybody's still on military footing? But then also the League of Nations and the Irish are like home rule and nationalism. It's just, it's so good. And then trench coats and people just carrying around twenty-two pistols to assassinate each other. Like good yeah. read.
2: Stealing like far like farmers' guns and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, the scene where cops. they break That's into the doctor scene. and they steal his car too. That's a really great scene. He they, they take like his twenty-two and his shotgun like i i love that the spirit that like yeah i'm going to go fight like the british army or whatever the the occupying police the black and tans the baby. Black, i'm going to fight the black and tans with a, like a 22 squirrel gun like that that is uh brave
0: yeah and there's like i like how it's very explicit how the stakes have changed since um dominic's father you know like there's a um i think it's um Lori who's talking about like you know, we need to take out their eyes, right? So they're, um, before the British, you know, Secret Service, you know, or British um, foreign uh, agents were able to kind of act with impunity and the Irish Republicans are starting to basically kill them and that's when the reprisals start happening and, you know, Laurie's an example where he gets shot. But um, I like how there's this, there's this really, uh a steep escalation that occurs all of a sudden. And you feel like you're growing up with Dominic, right? Like you're growing up through his, his kind of like, Oh, I'm a little brother who looks up to my older brother, but I also love my dad to eventually like, um, you know, I suspect where this is going is that there's going to be the loss of innocence and Dominic is going to fully buy into this, um, you know, for better or worse. And he probably is going to be, my expectation is he's going to be on whatever the extreme side is. He's going to be on it. And I expect his older brother to die. And that's going to be mm. like the that's going to be his like, uh, I don't know, growing moment.
2: That's a pretty solid guest. I, I definitely see this as a coming of age story. So I think whatever yeah. they can do to like develop the character is going to happen. The um the I, the tension in that scene on the train where he's like in this position where he's got like hand grenades in his suitcase and he has to play Mm -hmm. cards with the cops Mm -hmm. was such a good scene. It like had my hands kind of sweaty, you know Um, which is always a a good sign. But like that, um, that kind of felt like one of the, and obviously he doesn't even realize does, when does he find out his friend is dead at the end of our section? No, he doesn't find out yet. He's Um, wondering.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. But like, I, I see that as like, That's like one of the first moments in the book, because like even when they when they rob the barracks, like they don't kill that cop. You know, there's no like, you know, it's kind of like a charade. Like they pretend the car is broken down. It's like goofy. Um, It's not it's not someone getting shot in the head and dumped in a river yet.
1: Yeah, dude, stuff. Everything changes once you kill someone.
2: Yeah, I'm sure I've never killed anybody. Not yet. Ugh. I hope not.
0: Not not until we become guards at the FEMA camps, you know? (laughs)
2: until there's katrina too and then blackwater hires us to go down there
0: um so one of the scenes i thought was uh of social consequence was the um the crowd of irish people that were throwing shit at the prisoners on their way out and then cheering them on their way in um i sure i'm sure walter macken would be mad at this comparison but it very much struck me as the same sort of like charles dickens-esque mob where there it's like he is very he does a very good job of acknowledging sort of the fickleness of his own people um and i was wondering what you guys like what your impression was of the the mass of irish people because my understanding or the way i've always been um exposed to irish nationalism was that it was for the most part broadly popular um but it sounds like at least in this novel, it's represented as something that could kind of go either way, uh, whether it's for Irish national independence or, you know, as a way of um, like people supporting the troops as they like, you know, fight for the empire with the promise of home rule. Um, But I didn't know what you guys thought about it.
1: I did really like that scene where the woman is chastising him for being against the troops or like trying to sabotage them and then he like for a brief moment tries to understand her and he's like oh this woman must be so confused where she wants freedom for her country but like her brother or her son is going to die in Flanders
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean
1: yeah that is a very abstract concept I think that I don't know throughout their the Irish are represented as like, pretty genial. People are nice to each other. It is a small-town vibe where everybody kind of knows each other. Um, it does get a little bit more wild in Dublin. Like, that's just where a lot of the action takes place, or where wherever the university is, um, and they're starting to go ahead and do these acts. But I don't know. There's a lot of good things or different scenes. I did mark out specifically, just like you did, Sam, the part where they're talking about putting out the eyes um uh, mm. I, I marked that down as like probably the best or mo, one of the mo, most well-written uh paragraphs yeah it was really
0: good and you couldn't like said there's this child to man thing that's going on that's very uh uh exciting um so the other thing i wanted to ask was like um irish republicanism like i'm very interested in reading the because this is the third book in a trilogy I'm really interested in knowing what the other two books are about. My suspicion is that they are disconnected because like, I did not feel like I lacked anything at the beginning of this book. I feel like it could have been a standalone novel. Um, So my expectation is that the previous two books are about like, they are actual historical fiction that, um, you know, of previous Irish struggles um, or potentially even, you know, would be a very, modernist way of going about it would be um you know go, or maybe postmodernist of like you know different perspectives on the same event um but what how do you think that Mackin like like how do you perceive his um his representation of irish republicanism you know is it a wholly good thing do you see like is there is there nuance to like the way he's representing it um and uh um do you think that Macken like fully uh endorses this view of Irish republicanism or uh, do you think he sort of separates his own political beliefs from, from how he puts it in the novel?
2: I'd say so far, like I, I think he made a strong effort to have a realistic portrayal of it. While I think he himself is probably very sympathetic and supportive of it. Like he, he kind of goes out of his way to show uh like the generational gaps, especially during the father's funeral and to kind of show like, like the almost like a fatigue that a lot of the people have kind of with the, the, the discussion and the struggle, um, which I think is like a nice realistic way of describing something that like, I'm sure every single person in Ireland had heard, you know, constantly throughout their whole lives, but I haven't seen it. I, I have not gotten the impression that he, views like the abstract concept of Irish Republicanism negatively at all. It's more just like the the pitfalls that come with uh, generations after
1: generations of struggle for like the exact same goal. Yeah, I don't think he's against them at all. Like, it's unfortunate that some of these people have to die. But for home rule, it has to happen, like to rule your own, to have sovereignty. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of the way nationalism is he portrays them as kind of like goofy goofy, or he describes the wooden guns that they would use when they're practicing a lot. Um, so I think he's sympathetic just because some of those memories are probably personal and especially because everybody's so young too. Um, so I think especially because it is likely going to be a coming of age slash disillusionment story that he's doing that on purpose.
0: Yeah. I mean, I tend to agree with you guys. Like I think that he is representing it fairly um, while clearly having a a, a particular um, a point of view on it, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's interesting to me that um, that Irish republicanism, like I think I think he wrote this in his later years, and he's also sort of reflecting on how his um, like maybe the regrets and um, like there's a stronger sense of like oh I'm an old man looking at back on my younger years than it is of like i am young and i'm fiery and i'm like ready to to endorse something he seems to not be so sure about the results of all of these efforts um as somebody who's like you know in the early 20s might be
1: yeah i think that he does a good job of separating himself from it and the hesitancy is that's because dominic isn't yet convinced he hasn't become disaffected to the british cause um, or he's not completely on board with the nationalist cause yet although i did think like inversely that he did a very good job portraying the british Um, and i actually wanted to ask you all about that what you thought of how the british are portrayed you really only see them through the police Well, I would say
0: one of the interesting things is that um, I didn't know that there was this shift between Irish, policing Irish, right? And then the British sort of coming in as things heated up. Um, I mean, I think I'm not historically literate on this period, but like my initial sense of like the time period and, you know, our newfound knowledge about where the British Empire was at in at the turn of the century is that it's probably pretty representative um they didn't you know they weren't particularly nice they weren't particularly civil um it was you know sort of a very similar policy to the rest of the empire which is that um we're going to crush any popular movement that is against our policies while sort of dangling out to the the elites the possibility of um of home rule and um and the Though the guerrilla warfare may have started by the Irish, right? Um, And that that may be true, and I think Mackin is um, is representing that here. It's still, you know, it's still the, at this period of time, Britain is still the, you know, the complete pinnacle of military power in the world. And um, it's, you know, the Irish are, I mean, I don't know, like, Dominic is training with people with wooden guns, right? Like they're a ragtag group of, of, of idealistic men, like, and kids. So I think they're represented, um, fairly, which just to say badly.
2: Hmm. And like another wrinkle in terms of the occupying force is that a lot of them are veterans. And I think maybe that'll come more into play too. But like, these are dudes who have been fighting in France who have to, who are like in that mindset and then they come back, and they're occupying a country like Ireland, and like I, I'm sure you know who knows, but like when it comes to like post-traumatic stress disorder and all that crap, you don't flip a switch and be like, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not in the trenches anymore. I'm in, I'm in Ireland. There are friends. Well, of, I don't think
1: they really know. sent like it's not like what the U.S. did in Iraq, where we sent an entire army over there to pacify it. It was like they were sending federal police and army. MPs to go and specifically like hunt these people down. That's why it's so cool, especially um mm-hmm. uh, 1918 to 1920 like the spiciest part of it. It literally is people just walking around in these trench coats with a shotgun or a pistol under their arm and they're like is this a British cop or not? Is this an Irish cop? Like does that make a difference whether you're going to kill them? And you also don't know if these people are just going to pull out a pistol and cap you cuz like they did not care. And the book shows you like they do it. They're gonna yeah. just execute these people on the side of the road,
2: right? Well, that's all. That's all I meant. It's just that, like, I mean, pretty much all able-bodied men were cons were conscripted during that mm. time period. So, like, the war is just over. Like, yeah, it's where the tans comes from. They're all in their military yeah. khakis. Yeah, they're not necessarily soldiers, but you know,
1: everyone had to fight. Well, most most able-bodied men had to fight in that war. And I think the British are like the. I don't think there's any particular scene where they're like particularly heinous, but it's just like overall the scene of it. Like when they go to arrest the father and they're screaming like, what is this? What are you taking him for? This is tyranny. And the captain is like beating his stick on the door. And he's like, what tyranny? I don't see any tyranny here. You're the only one making any problems.
0: The classic authoritarian move.
1: Yeah, Um, (laughs) right.
0: You know, if you didn't complain, like, if you have nothing to hide, why do you care about your privacy? (laughs) Um, The, yeah, it it the British were awful in this case, um, and, you know, awful in many cases, and I think that, um, though, you're right, Troy, that we haven't really had a good insight into any particular British character, or really into, like, the general politics of the British state as it revolved around here, Um, but I think that the um the it doesn't make much sense like from a um from a democratic point of view that Ireland would remain in Great Britain considering the history of Great Britain and Ireland and it was i think merely done to pacify other um you know having people repeat sort of Ireland's um example uh and i think that was more or less unsuccessful but that was kind of the, the understanding of the policy it was just like we can't have Ireland succeed because if if we can't control our own island, then, you know, Australia and India and, and everywhere else will break off, um, which ended up happening in the end anyway.
1: That was the idea. But like, I don't know, the British Empire, although it's super heavy handed on the front end, like they are they do liberalize policies and learn from their mistakes on the back end, like the Indian parliaments the home rule governments they would not have been treated the same way if ireland had not risen up in 1916 like i'm sure the british would have treated them much more harshly if they had not learned their lesson of failure in ireland
2: yeah and then like as we learned from the lawrence james book is that they just were, they did not have the manpower to police all of their territorial territorial possessions. Like, I know it, it comes to, like, a crisis in, like, 45 or whatever, but even before then, like, the strain was too great, you know?
0: Yeah, you just didn't have the, uh, I don't know, like, it's not, yes, like, I agree with you, and I think that in its own, you know, contradictory way, right? Like, the British Empire did have sort of a liberalizing effect on the on its its um colonial possessions you know however right in the irish case they are explicitly establishing an irish republic right like they are steeped in british common law they have a great understanding i mean like james connolly is one of the most like famous like socialists in in like the socialist canon he is you know a, a red republican if you will and um the like Ireland, as far as like educationally speaking, didn't need more liberalizing and it needed its national independence. Um, and I think it's um, it's it's a shame that sort of this high imperialism uh, I, rather, I would say it revealed really the the real politics of the Irish uh, or of the, uh, the British state in this particular instance, because you really couldn't make the argument. Although they did, that that Ireland is, um, you know, somehow, I don't know, less civilized.
1: Um, I don't ag- disagree with you at all. I mean, yeah, Ireland definitely should leave. If I was Irish, I would want out, like just especially given the history. there had been at least two genocides committed against the Irish by the British since the 1300s, and then the potato famine, which was another like fabricated more or less the genocide of the irish and one of the greatest failures of capitalism but like in terms of compared to other empires like russia france did not learn their lessons like they were terrible to their subjects but just because they're a good empire doesn't mean i'm in favor of empires like i'm definitely in the american point of view like yeah these people are nationalists no matter what the british do like our protagonists are fighting for their national freedom like so whoever is against them is the villain. Like people should be able to govern themselves. That's like as mm-hmm. an American that's a pretty fundamental thing that I agree with. And why Americans don't like empires and I'm proud that we don't.
0: Yeah, I mean I couldn't I'm...
1: agree more.
0: Go ahead, Tom. Go off, King.
3: No, I don't have anything more to say than that, but I do agree with that is like, you know, the idea that people should be able to govern themselves and be in control of their own decisions and their own outcomes and deal with their own like consequences is kind of like a fundamental thing that I agree with. Like it's not that every decision you're going to make is right or good for your people, but you should have the choice to make that decision. And the Irish for a long time did not.
1: And for the Irish, it was different too because they were going right through a cultural Renaissance, like right at the turn of the century, Gaelic was picking back up in terms of the number of people Reading it, writing it, speaking it as their primary language, uh, just like so many authors and yeah, famous politicians. Like Irish culture is not backwards; like it is a European culture. It may not necessarily be a British culture, or they decided not to be. But I don't know. They have a very strong artistic tradition, and it is unique. And I feel like it's completely—you cannot put that down. If a people have their own language and their own culture it's just yeah you have to let them go
0: yeah i mean i i I guess it's like i i think that the irish have every right right to establish a republic in contrast to the british imperial state and um especially around this time right like i think that all of the moves about like you know brexit and then ireland going against brexit or whatever is a like both of those things are kind of farcical um given our current sort of global political landscape. But at this particular time, right, like there is real revolutionary potential in in the Irish struggle for independence. And um, it like there's there's nothing liberal um, about what what Britain did to Ireland. Like you could say that there are liberal aspects of Ireland that Ireland inherits from Britain, but. This particular like policy, you know, is is basically counter to all of that.
1: No, I'm saying um, the British liberalized afterwards. Like, just like right, they learned their right. lesson after the American Revolution. Like, mm, they still okay. fucked up super bad. Like, they almost lost their entire empire because of how poorly they managed the colonies. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I see but your. Point
1: during out. it, no. Right, during right. it, they yeah. make terrible decisions like sending in the tans to just execute their way out of this situation is like the worst possible decision you could have made but i'm saying like they learned from it and they didn't do it again in india
0: mm. well i mean they they did but like uh Less with, so. with more tact i guess or like <laughs> more responding yeah. to 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 immediate political circumstances um uh, but yeah I mean, also, like, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not hyper literate on this history, so there's could be aspects about about it that I'm not aware of.
1: I was just super into it because I had a chance to go on a vacation to Ireland for the hundredth anniversary of this. Uh, Oh, really? Like, you were there in
0: 2016? Is that?
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it was tight. There was a military parade. They had their tanks and everything drive down like they're North Korea. <laughs> it was <laughs> sweet. It was like all the different places with the bullet holes from the revolution, like the post office and um, Trinity University. Um, There's some cool stuff. I saw the prison where his father dies. It really is just like a tiny little gray stone abbey looking building. But it's like obviously super damp because it's Ireland. It's just like Everything is so wet all the time there.
0: There's a um so I was watching a Rick Steves Europe yesterday and um he visited Ireland and I've never heard a man explain like uh political factional disputes in a more like childish way before. It was like, ah yes, we have Team Orange, right? And they're the unionists. And they are Protestants and um and then we have Team Green and they're Irish Republicans and they're Catholics. And I'm like, mm, you know, like the and and there were the troubles and that was a bad time, but now things are better. And I'm like, okay.
1: Imagine if he'd gotten to the, like the nitty-gritty of it, but with that same stupid voice, <laughs> and it's <was> like <laughs> And then in nineteen sixteen, like blah 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 McBrian wanted to break from the Republican Party, and then they assassinated him in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> like, But just with the same stupid voice he has. Uh, oh, that would be funny. God. But yeah, the oversimplification, that's not meant for uh, people like us. That's meant for fat fucks who can't be bothered to read the TV guide. And they have to have it read <laughs> to them.
0: <laughs> the libtards and the contards, you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, man.
0: And then there are... There are us, the Uber Mensches. You know what I'm saying? The Chads and yeah, the
1: everybody's fringe. stupid except for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
0: our podcast. Everybody's stupid except for us.
1: That's
2: that's okay. a pretty good byline. You know, I I'd love to learn more about the troubles aside from like whatever yeah. bullshit I know from Wikipedia. You know, and the you know, dude, look you
1: know, up videos. It's with, uh, yeah, the troubles. Are... videos. It's sick. Like i mm. I remember the couple that i stayed with when i went to dublin he was telling me about his in belfast how they would have nets so if people like threw molotov cocktails or rocks over the wall that separated protestants and catholics that it would just like catch and not go into the street like it was that common it's nuts
2: yeah it's it's so funny to think that that's existing in western europe that still was going on and i know they still have little street battles and stuff in
1: northern ireland but it's not yeah. It's not. My, uh, my first girlfriend, she was telling me, she was like, Yeah, until the 1980s, until Iran uh, stormed. Oh, whose embassy did they storm? There's some embassy in London that the Iranians stormed after the Ayatollah took over. Anyway, before that incident, everybody was like, Yeah, the main people that were going to commit terrorists were the Irish. Like, they yeah. were most afraid of the Irish, not anybody from the Middle East, not the Russian. It was like, if somebody's throwing a bomb, it's going to be. Somebody in the IRA, and her grandpa actually helped design police stations. And they said when he landed in Belfast, they had to like get him to a hum, not a Humvee, but a uh, SUV that was like bulletproof, <laughs> and had to drive him immediately to the police station. And he was there to design a police station so that if you threw a bomb through the front door, the blast would just like go to the sides and wouldn't go into the office any further jesus christ that's pretty crazy like they had to engineer the police stations that way because they knew that somebody was gonna at least get to the front door and be able to throw a bomb in
0: that's fucking wild dude
1: yeah Um, well don't fuck with catholics i don't know just say did you
0: guys ever play counter-strike
1: no i did yeah yeah i did
0: what was one of the weird things i was like um you know because obviously you know, I was born in 91, so by the time I was politically conscious, the, the troubles were more or less uh, over. But um, the Irish terrorist, right, is in that, you know, and you have this co-mingling of like, you know, on the 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 terrorist side of, of Counter-Strike, of um, Irish IRA characters, and then um, Muslim, you know, uh, Islamic uh, terrorist characters, but it only it. Only after you said that, when I was like, oh, yeah, that's interesting how that's like uh, um, of maybe like a early millennial, late Gen X mentality, you would associate terrorism with the Irish.
1: Hmm. Yeah, there's a. Didn't they train with Hezbollah? Did they? I I don't know about that. I haven't heard that. Let me Google this. Yeah, dude, when I was studying like intelligence, there's been four waves of terrorism. The first wave was socialists, anarchists. The second wave is nation states which is like people wanting like Israelis and then Palestinians, Irish are the same example. Um, And then now it's more towards religion or no, the very first one was actually for democracy. Mm. Americans, baby. We were the very first (laughs) organized political violence against a state within a state. That's not a coup. It's cool. The weird definitions they have of like parsing the things apart. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. like some terrorists, it's like, I'm not necessarily against them. Like, yeah, the Irish are being ruled by a foreign dictator. Get them out of there.
2: Yeah. And they're directing their violence towards police officers or elements of the state. I I don't necessarily even think that it's fair to call that terrorism. I mean, a lot. I mean, some, sure. Some of the stuff they did was like bombing malls in England and stuff. But, you know,
1: they they also
0: specifically didn't want to cause uh civilian deaths you know they basically just blew up property which is
1: i mean it's still terrorism it's just a different type like directed versus mass casualties and i mean in the eyes of like winning hearts and minds that is an important distinction like are you mm-hmm. killing civilians or not
2: yeah i mean terrorism is generally what isn't is not terrorism usually defined by uh the government generally, or,
1: or who who's on the other end end of it. Um, yeah, it's just it's political violence that's not the state, not the person that is supposed to have complete control of armed authority within the territory. Yeah, so it can't be the state that's doing it, but any non-political violence that's not the state is labeled terrorism always justified yeah. or not. I mean cuz like you know British British
2: soldiers like murdering fucking Catholic dudes or whatever in Ireland. That's not terrorism, I guess. <laughs> you know. Uh, no,
0: definitely not.
2: Not not at all. Or them raiding homes and all this bullshit. But uh yeah, I found an article. They they busted IRA guys uh trying to buy bombs from Hezbollah, which I thought was a hilarious mashup.
1: Oh, dude, <laughs> that is a weird crossover episode.
2: How
0: how far they've fallen. You know, the IRA is basically a, a, I mean, it is just kind of like a racket now. There's like not the really. Drug dealers, thugs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's the next wave of terrorism is going to be crypto slash narco terrorism. Yeah. It's already I think here, right? Yeah. Like, drug gangs and cartels in Mexico, like, those people should just all be killed. Like, they're as bad as ISIS. I've seen their oh, videos. Yeah. They're just as oh, bad yeah. as ISIS. Oh, yeah. Nope, there's nothing
0: redeemable about that. Um, nope, and uh, yeah, but maybe we could have something that isn't the U.S. government, <laughs> um, you know. And it's it's uh it's fucking snake-like uh, federal authorities going about that. Um, it's I don't know, like it it's bad on all sides. And but yeah, you're right. The fucking the cartels are really something else.
1: Speaking of terrorism, I know that that's the word of the week. Um, I wanted to ask y'all about whether you ever thought it was justified and if so, when?
2: Well, it depends how you if, – if we're defining it like the way it, it is defined now or just like political violence and you're not a state, then 100% like it 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 can be justified certainly. But mass casualties like killing civilians or non-combatants never justified in my in my opinion – Obviously that's something our state does constantly, but I I can't support that really.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm basically in agree with you, Alex. Like I think that um that terrorism, you know, in so defined as like a political act of violence. Um and, you know, if we say whatever violence is like kind of an ambiguous term, but um, you know, I would classify like, you know, mass property damage as terrorism
1: you winking wow. at me as sexual violence sam Wait,
2: why, why do you classify that as terrorism i always thought that terrorism well, was it, it, using violence in order to influence the minds of the general population rather than to achieve a specific goal well, it's so either like, that or policy it's
1: you're either trying yeah. to intimidate the populace or you're trying to intimidate to make sure a certain policy outcome happens. So like
2: raiding a police like, like you know ambushing a police patrol is you're killing an enemy combatant. I don't see how that is terrorism.
0: So I'm not I'm not arguing about the legal de- de- definition of terrorism. I'm just saying that most people would perceive that as a terrorist act, right? Like it's a colloquial understanding of terrorism, which is that somebody is trying to in like somebody's trying to make a a a perceptively violent act to influence political events. And I would say like IRA bombing like a financial center, right? Like there's that famous picture of all the windows being blown out by an IRA bomb that didn't kill anybody. But, you know, it's still like I would say most people would view that as a terrorist act, right? But I'm not arguing for the expansion of terrorism as like a legal definition. I'm just saying like that's how it would be viewed is like that's terrorism um but i think even so right like that's uh as far as um as bombing goes right like that would be the way you would want to make a point uh, and if if you know such forces are not w- like listened to or a- accommodated for in the diplomatic political process like i don't i don't see anything particularly wrong with it um and I think that as far as like justifying terrorism is concerned, right? Like terrorism is justified by winning at the end of the day, right? Like the American colonists were essentially terrorists; they were traitors, and they ceased to be traitors when they established their own nation. Um, Might make right, sense, <laughs> maybe. Uh, it's the fucking truth, my dude. So as long as you win, terrorism's justified in the real world. <laughs>
1: Yeah,
3: I mean, like, I don't know, my opinion, I guess, on that, and Sam kind of like touched on most of it, is like I don't know, I think it it can be justified, and I think it's just looking at and some of it's like hindsight being twenty twenty, but looking at it as like what are the motives, what are you trying to do and how are you going about it? So there is some gray areas to like what you define as terrorism, but if you're if you're like making um waves in like the way that life is handled so like say you're blowing up like a financial building but nobody is hurt or you're you know harassing people or doing something in a particular way but you're not like you're not kidnapping the innocent relatives of politicians and like keeping them in unsafe conditions and threatening to kill them and like giving them ptsd or whatever the fuck like um not like that because that would be like you're targeting the wrong people or you're handling it the wrong way. But if you're like doing something that is a significant event, but doesn't impact um, innocent people in order to get to the end of like something that you're being oppressed by. So like when you think of the Irish, like you are you feel oppressed. You're being mistreated in your own homeland. So you're going to do something in order to change how that works, but you're going to do it in the most. I don't the, the word I'm thinking of is like flamboyant, but that's not the word, like the most like boisterous way. Um, but that harms the least amount of people to have happen. Like, I think you could justify it. I, I think it depends on how you define terrorism and, and what's happening and why you're doing it. But I think you can justify it. I don't
1: see why not. I think, I don't know. I like the, I, I know it's kind of le- legalistic, but just a definition that it's violence that specifically has to have a political purpose and that's not carried out by the state. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. The Irish are by that definition terrorists, but it's completely justified because they're just trying to change the status quo where they want home rule. And really, whenever the violence occurs, it's just because somebody disagrees with the system where it's like, no, you are going to stay. No, you don't get to vote. No, you don't get to have home rule. It's like, well, we want to change the rules. They say no. So really, it's just you're challenging their monopoly on lethal force. And it's like when it gets to that point, it's like, yeah, if you win, then you were right. Like Sam said. Right. No. And Sam brought up
3: like a really good point that like when you win, you kind of get to change the narrative. But. At the same time, it's like, you know, terrorism is typically, I guess, in the sense that we're talking about it is like the the second thing beyond like when you cannot change things from politics or from speaking or from relationships, like when you don't have the ability to change your community through like the political structure, then you're forced to resort to what we consider now being terrorism. And I don't necessarily fault people for that. Like if you don't have the ability to change the environment around you or have a say or have like a value in your community, in your own country, in your own area, and there's a lot of people that feel that way, like then you need to resort to an alternative means. And a lot of times that gets defined as terrorism, but that doesn't mean that it's not justified or isn't like the right means or the right action to take. It's just how you take that. That makes it like good
1: or bad. Yeah, so we got guns, baby. Yeah, it's we that got, ex-
2: <laughs> it's that expression. That always exp- is that one man's uh it one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just how you look at it. Because um, anyone who you see as like a revolutionary or a freedom fighter or, you know, a, a left wing gorilla group or whatever bullshit is cool. Um whatever yes. the kids are into
1: these days.
3: Like using Sam's example, like George Washington is a fucking terrorist. Like he's yeah. like, you know, he's like against the status quo. He's the fucking shit up for everybody. But like, look at how we look at George Washington now. Like he's a terrorist in one's lens, but he's like, you know, the father of this country in another lens. Like John Brown, John Brown's another great terrorist from history. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I, I mean, Alex to your point I think like attacking uh agents of the state is like a it is a much different affair right if you have a a foreign police occupying force uh attacking you right like there's not a I don't think a I don't know it's hard for me to justify not attacking them I mean even obviously a quote-unquote indigenous force um oppressing you right like these are armed people of the state they are intended to maintain uh your order um all i would say is that i think that where terrorism sort of like or the act of political terrorism loses sight is that if it becomes an end in itself right like where the bombing ceases to be a means towards something but is just doing it to do it or
2: propaganda of the deed
0: yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like it's an it to to Tom what Tom was saying about like the you know when the political process fails you, right? People resort to terrorism. It's sort of like a reflection of the impotence of both, right? Because I can't do politics, I resort to terrorism and rather than cutting sort of like a a a forward path um as to make politics possible again, you resort towards throwing bombs, which is just like another way of showing that you can't change anything
1: well sometimes having it specifically closed off like that is the point they don't want you to get back into political life or like specifically for the ira it cracks and shatters when they are accepted back into political life because at some point if they are strong enough like Or if there's goodwill, like the Colombian government and FARC, they can allow them to be like, all right, lay down your arms. You're no longer an armed group. You will now be a political party. And that can happen. But then it's like, well, what if you don't get everything you wanted, like Ireland? They didn't get the whole island. Do you continue to be violent? Or now that you have a political option, do you use it? And that's literally destroyed the IRA ever since.
2: Yeah. I mean, at first it was like, the, the left wing of, of the party or whatever didn't get what they wanted. So that was a splinter. Like, it was just like a series of splinterings over and over and over again till where you're at now, with Ireland, ha- like, the north of the country, still occupied. and like But they want to be
1: occupied because, well, a lot of them do, because they're Protestant. Like, yeah, they don't the Catholics be there sure as fuck don't. Right. But, I mean, those people are legit scared. Like, the Unionists are like, no, we need Britain. Like, they're some of the strongest supporters of the UK staying together. Mm.
3: Right. But I think that's also like well I was just gonna say I think that's like the phase two of like the conversation is like post terrorism when you actually have a voice and you have something to do with it, like then how does an organization handle it? Um but I don't know, like not to like retouch this, but like originally like if you had like occupied France under Nazi rule and the French are bombing like you know, Nazi headquarters and they're killing like, you know, Nazi quote unquote cops or like, you know, people that are um, governing over them. Like, would you blame the French for doing that? Like that would be considered terrorism because that's like revolting against the people that are ruling over them. But are they wrong to do that? No, you know, but then once you are not occupied and once you have a voice and once you have some like, like in the Irish example, When you have the ability to have some political sway and you don't need to use the terrorism and bombing, then what do you do? That's like the second phase of like, you've kind of accomplished your first goal, but then like, what do you do as an organization beyond that?
1: I feel like a lot of it depends on whether including you in the process is genuine or not, or if they're just trying to kneecap you. And thankfully, I feel like America has gotten around this because all states enter as equals, Like, there is no hierarchy. Just the states are all equal, which is great. Like, federalism is awesome. But if you were part of a kingdom and you're a Republican, so it's like, all right, you're part of the United Kingdom. You get a spot in their parliament. But you want to be your own independent republic. Like, eh, I don't know. Like, maybe terrorism is still justified. Because, like, I personally would fight for a republic if I did not live in one. Like, I think it's incredibly important and there's actually a super good quote by uh eisenhower that i read the other day it was like the basis of every political party must be the preservation of the republic otherwise it's just a conspiracy to seize power it's like damn that's true Mm. but like if they're trying to preserve what you want which is nationalism or republic like great but I feel like people may still use terrorism if they're, like, in a system, but it doesn't really benefit them or they're, like, a constant minority. Like, they would use it to expand their political power or to gain more seats by the shock and awe of stuff.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that there's also an element of, of people reenacting things habitually. You know, like, you have situations in which, um, you know, somebody who enjoys being, you know, seeing uh, big things go boom wants to keep doing that um, and it's not really ideological it's more like personal grudges or like uh, an attachment to a way of being um, but I generally agree with you Troy that there's like um, they're really with what everybody's been saying which is that like once you actually have the opportunity to set the table it produces a new political situation that then would divide a movement between people who want to say no this compromise doesn't go far enough and people who say oh this compromise is good enough we should accept it um although it's not, super
1: american of us to think that once you get a political voice then you're <laughs> then it's okay then it's all over like other people it's like now they're gonna fight to the death until they're the only ones in charge but good on good on us for pluralism
0: you goddamn right I don't know how well it's working out for us, but, uh, you know, good on America.
3: God damn it. We're trying.
0: We're trying to, you know, balance the the anti-immigration sentiments of whites and Hispanics. And then also, like, you know, how do we how did how did Obama get through gay marriage by being a black man? You know, like it's pluralism at its finest.
2: Yeah, because the black community is generally very amenable to gay marriage. Well, they're
0: not, but when a black man says it's okay, then you're good, you know?
1: Yeah. I think sure. the word you're looking for, Sam, is... Uh, oh, shit, now I can't think of the word. Uh, intersectional, intersectionalism.
0: Yeah. My I'm... favorite ideology, yes. I love having
1: an intersectional government.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. I really love having... The, what, what was it, like, the first lesbian Native American is like, you know, Deputy Secretary of, of Health or whatever?
1: Dude, it's like... <laughs> it's like when does it (laughs) when does it end though because it's like oh my god how many do we have to go through is like the first um, what is it like pacific islander in the department of education is like there's so many departments there's so many companies like how many news stories do i have to hear about this like i get it i'm okay like just let the most talented person have the job like please stop telling me these news stories dude tell me about the policies a hundred
2: percent and i believe this is that the government and finance saw what happened with occupy wall street and we're like fuck we cannot let people think about think about their positions in this society based on like whether they're they have or they have not and they just have pushed this ideology as hard as they possibly fucking can so
1: that it's just fake it's fake gains. it's it's, it's truly it, bizarre the, yeah, it's, to see how everything is perceived through the lens of race. Like I was I was pissed off listening to NPR today. I had to turn it off. Cause it was like, what were they talking about? It was something they talked at least about three different policies. One was like health, one was housing, one was something else. And they're like, "Yes, but we want to make sure that we're tackling these problems with like equity to social justice." It's like, what the fuck does that mean? Just fix the problem. <laughs> but of course, they're not going to. They're just going to keep making speeches like that. Yeah. And then it's like, yay, hooray! We have now a black incompetent bureaucrat instead. Like, good for us.
0: You got to represent everybody in mediocrity, you know? Like, you can't just be the white man.
1: Well,
2: I mean, the, the, whole, the whole point is they, they want to immiserate black people still. They don't give a fuck about that. They want their lives to be terrible. They want them to live in shitholes. But, like, they want, like, seven of them to run companies. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's their thing. It's like, they don't give a fuck, actually, about black people. None of these idiots reading, like, White fragile bitch or whatever. Like that's like not that's not what it's about. You know what I mean? It's 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 about maintaining your position in society and maintaining you know your class status, but feeling good about it. You know, because you don't want people asking more questions. You don't want people thinking like, why the fuck is there a billionaire pulling the strings in this society? Like, why is our entire government controlled by billionaires? Why is like the vice president's closest advisor, someone who works for worked for Uber, who wants Mm -hmm. to make everyone a fucking contractor. And why is that like a woke victory? You know that she wants Mm -hmm. people (laughs) that she's just trying to do everything she can to destroy
1: labor with her Alzheimer's buddy. And also the thing that like really just blows my mind with this is that all of these articles and celebrating the race like yes but i thought you people didn't care about race like you people are obsessed with race it is a complex like it's becoming unhealthy <laughs> like we can acknowledge these, but like oh my god it is an obsession and it's like I, you can't turn anywhere without hearing about it anymore i mean it's like white boomers doing this shit it's not
2: Mm-hmm. It's not your average black person. It's not your average Hispanic person. It's that I don't. I fundamentally because yeah, they're not busy realize.
1: being poor. They have real things to worry <laughs> about. They're, yeah,
2: or they're normal. I mean, most of the <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. They're just like normal people who aren't going through their lives being like you know, imagining all the ways in which they're being like you know, viciously you know,
1: uh, uh, Microaggressioned uh, against.
2: Yeah, it's oh. it's just like I don't know. We shouldn't be on Instagram, dude. It's giving women. Way too much of a
1: voice.
3: <laughs>
1: you know what? You know same thing with the ballot box, Alex. Just while we're at <laughs> yeah. it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. What? Trump would have won a fucking landslide. Same
0: thing. Same thing with divorce law, guys. You know, like Woo! just fucking. Just, you know, let's. Right, well, I think don't... the
1: pod's position on Roe v. Wade just speaks for itself now. Right.
0: that's a good point. <laughs> You're you're allowed to get an abortion but only with your husband's approval, you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: Yeah, written written, written note. You gotta pay him after.
0: Right. For his wasted load, his wasted essence. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Gotta pay a premium. Five cents <laughs>
3: for a semen, baby. <laughs>
0: uh well I'm shooting blanks now, so we're you know, like it's free. It's free money, it's free real estate. It's
2: free loads. <laughs> <laughs>
3: fucking Tom, you you were gonna say something no i mean alex actually kind of like um hit on it pretty well but it was just like i don't know the idea that um you know god forbid somebody's like a double minority like they're like you know black and gay or they're like a woman and lesbian or they're like indian and whatever like Then all of a sudden you get like an automatic leg up and it's like we put these people in position and we like celebrate it like it actually means something. But then nothing ever happens to the community that they actually represent. Like one of the like easy things that I just go to is like we had a black president for eight years. And what the fuck happened to the black community throughout those eight years? Like their wealth went down. Yeah. Almost nothing positive. Their wealth went down. We. We systematically incorporated um like things for them to have more abortions to be kept in poverty to like um have less opportunity to grow but because we put black people in a position of power it's like oh you know look at us we're so progressive like we actually care about these people we want equality we want you know if there's 19% 19% of the United States is black, then 19% of the CEO should be black. Meanwhile, 80% of the black fucking population is struggling and we're doing nothing about it. Like, That's I wildest thing that.
1: with diversity. It's like, we don't have exactly 15% African-American representation. Is like, okay, <laughs> like, what happens if you yeah. just have, like, an odd number of employees and you're not going to meet your quota? Like, or it's what just, if it's your company is based. What if your
3: company is based in New Hampshire and it's not based in, you know, Alabama or Virginia? And like yeah. in order to have 20% of your workforce to be black, you'd have to hire like, you know, every black person in your fucking town. And like there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like that doesn't mean they're qualified for the job. That doesn't mean that like they're gonna do what you need to do or that like company's gonna be successful. Like some of it has to do with demographics and location. And at the same time, it's like, hey, if you want to give me, you know, black people in a position of power, then do something for the black community. Like, let's see some differences. Don't tell me that you're more likely to be incarcerated by the age of 18 in Detroit than to graduate high school. Meanwhile, we have a black president for eight years. Like, what does that do for anybody?
0: Yeah. And I, I would say, too, that like the 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 crux of the issue, like you pointed out, Tom, was that there's not really any. Benefit that's being seen from this diversity program, and in fact, it's like driven by an ideology that actively eviscerates them, and um, yeah, you can't really. You
1: but now they can feel really good because there's people of color in Disney movies, and kids oh can God, feel good yeah. about themselves, and people are just pissing themselves over that.
3: Well, that's things that that's not
2: necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's good, I guess. You know, yeah. But Disney's a
1: big evil corporation. Like, yeah, yeah. it's good that they're in the media, but you're still being like spoon-fed bullshit. (laughs) Hundred percent, yeah.
3: But like, why can't you have both? Like, why can't you put people who are qualified in minor, like people of minority groups that are qualified, in a position to be successful, and not keep them out of those positions? because they are minorities like, but also they need to compete against and be chosen above anybody else. Like it's based on your qualifications, not necessarily your skin tone, but also like beyond that, how about you actually do something for the communities that aren't these rich, important people? Like, why can't you just have both? Why does it need to be Disney puts out movies with people of like, you know, uh, minorities and of different, like, you know, uh, ethnicities. And that's all like fun and good. Meanwhile, we're not doing actually
1: anything for anybody. Like, can't because you just have Disney's to busy lobbying over. against those policies? <laughs> yeah, pretty then much. Exactly. And that times 10,000 companies.
2: Yeah. I mean, both parties, their goal is to actively make the lives of the working class in this country worse. That is the goal of the Democrats is the goal of the Republicans is that they want they want shareholders. They want billionaires. They want mega corporations to get, you know, more business. They want them to make more money because that's who, who runs this show. I mean, you know, Joe, Joe Biden hates you. Like, he fucking despises you. You'd spit in your face if he could. Oh, no, dude, he doesn't remember, remember who to, you are. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Kamala Harris doesn't care about the malarkey, a, a,
3: Alex.
2: A black kid starves to death or whatever. She doesn't give a fuck. She loves it. I mean, you know what I mean? As long as the che- paycheck's coming in. I mean, these people are. Twist, same with Donald Trump, you know, for all his talk, at least he tried to pretend he was empathetic, but he, he didn't give a fuck.
3: Not well, that's the thing that kills me, though, is it's like, well, you know... Just don't like spit in my face while you do it. It's like make the entire government minorities like no white people. It's all minorities. But if you're going to treat it the same way and you're going to fuck over every like working class person and you're going to screw over all the same people like you could have the government be 100 percent black, but if they operate based on money and the black community never gets any better, you're not getting anywhere like it's all for show. It's all for politics. It's all for, you know, looking the right way. It's like either like do it or don't don't like do it for show and think that we're stupid enough to buy it and then continue to screw over all the same people. Like, it's just like this. I don't know. Like you said, it's all about money. It's all about like how it looks. And while Disney is producing movies that have like minorities and black main characters, they're lobbying to fuck over the entire community. It's like, it's just underhanded bullshit.
0: You know, you know, what's going to reveal all of this Is when the demographics change where um, Hispanics will be able to claim more like representation in something and the the overall percentage, the population of African-Americans go down, then it will be – will cease to be doing things based on representation.
1: Yeah, we're already not, dude. There's like – the country is already like 25% Latino. Yeah.
2: And I love the liberal meltdown over the voting demographics and they're, they're like they're outraged dude, Latinos the fact, are
1: conservative
2: dude I love seeing like newscasters or like I know a couple liberals who I saw melt down about this being like "Why? I don't understand I don't understand how could they possibly and it's like dude your race science is not real like I don't know what to tell <laughs> yeah, you that's like, what it is dude it is race science race science is not real like Hispanics are like human beings with of variety the opinions
1: about issues and policies.
2: And like 17 different countries where their origins <laughs> right, could be. Right. I mean, what the fuck? Like, you think like someone from El Salvador is the same as like a Mexican or whatever, like, or something Well, then there's Europe. other shit like,
3: like my in-laws are Dominican, right? And they grew up in, in very close to very hardcore, like socialist, borderline communist, like governments. And they don't like that. So they come to the United States and they like, you know, two generations later, those things are still ingrained in them. And they're like, hey, that shit sucks. So when you start bringing up things that remind them of their childhood in the Dominican, they're like, hey, how about we don't do that? And guess what? Those tend to be conservative ideologies. But they're Latino, like. Mm-hmm. but they don't get that they're like oh you're a minority so
1: you're obviously going to align with us and it's all oh, like, that requires to you well to know. understand history especially <laughs> non-american history and people god they can't, forbid they, they can't do that and to imagine <laughs> that anything there's a driving historical force other than white man bad is is uh it doesn't compute for them
2: yeah or like the uh the radlib thing about like like all catholics are like white nationalists or something like that when it's like what yeah have you seen like you know what i mean this idea that like catholicism yeah. is like this white conservative thing and it's like dude you are not, like, Bro, you've not paying looked at the attention map. to <laughs> what catholicism is it's the most diverse re-
1: religion on the planet um whatever it's funny yeah these people are living in their own world like you can present them with whatever and it's going to be the same as like QAnon. like these people yeah. are just so deluded they're living in their own world
0: yeah and you would from their rhetoric you would think that um you you think that they were the most rational people in the world.
1: Well yeah, right? cause they all have like MAs and Ph or MSs and PhDs and like gender studies and stuff. So they, <laughs> they're they're all like claiming the privilege of being an elite and a doctor and you got to listen to them. It's like
0: You eh. know, I, I I would say I would probably have like a lot of of sublimated self-hatred if i spent 10 years of my life to write a master's or to write a uh, phd thesis that nobody would ever read and would have produced no value for the world that's uh
1: that's what my favorite professor told me i forgot i was like arguing with somebody and he chuckled he was like oh no you never want to insult an academic's pride that's all we have (laughs) he's like we're not (laughs) we're not going to be rich we're never going to have any power so it's like prestige is everything and he was like trying to explain the politics that was going on in the history department god is so great i love that man
0: (laughs) all right well on that happy note on that happy note um we're going to read the second third of the scorching wind which is some arbitrary page that we will decide later do you want to just Um, finish it
1: yeah dude let's just finish it i really let's just finish the book
0: Let's finish the motherfucking book. So we're going to finish the motherfucking book for next week. Um, Thank you for
1: listening. Have a great night. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.